The Sons of Liberty is a politically neutral organization. We believe that the Judeo-Christian ethic has provided the principles upon which this nation was founded. It is our belief that these principles provide not only the foundation and framework for American government and society, but are also essential to the maintenance of a fair and just society. All program content is based on a Christian biblical worldview. One of you said to me recently that we shouldn't rock the boat. Well, ladies and gentlemen, I want to tell you that I am a boat Good day, America. Welcome, Christians, conservatives, constitutionalists, liberals, libertarians, communists, Islamists, LGBTQ, RCV, WXYZ people, all the boat rockers in the house, and anybody else I may have missed to the Sons of Liberty radio show here on Red State Talk Radio, where we use the Bible and the Constitution not to see who's on the right or the left, but who is on the straight and narrow. I'm your host, Tim Brown, coming to you live from the U.S.-occupied state of South Carolina, the editor at SonsLibertyMedia.com, and for Muslim friends, I'm the infidel that Allah warns you about I hold to the book, the Bible. As the authoritative word of God, glad that you guys have joined us this morning. If you'd like to check us out online, please do so, SonsOfLibertyRadio.com and also SonsOfLibertyMedia.com. Right, if you're listening by way of Red State Talk Radio and you want to watch the video portion of the radio show, that's right, you can see the face that's made for radio. Head over to SonsOfLibertyMedia.com, and there you're going to see two videos at the top of the page. The one on the left side of the page is Bradley's show from yesterday. So if you missed that, uh, you can catch that up until 3 o'clock Eastern, at which time he'll be either live in that area or we're going to have an education video. <laughs> he's somewhere out in Arizona. I don't know if he's coming back today or tomorrow, but anyway, um, yeah, just look for that at 3. It'll change over to something. Uh, on the right side of the page is where we are at. <clears throat> click on the play button, blow up whatever device you've got, and look for the rumble icon, bottom right-hand corner. Uh, click on that. You can join us in the chat over there. Uh, lots of friends over in Rumble this morning. Great to see you guys over there. And then also, uh, we are streaming live to Rumble at Sons of Liberty Radio Live. That's the channel. And um, so you can you can interact with some of our good friends over there on Rumble if you choose to do so. Also, we're streaming live to um, beforeitsnews.com. Look for the top of the page. Uh, we're over there. We're glad those guys give us a spot as well. And then also, while you're at sonsoflibertymedia.com, be sure to sign up for our email newsletter. Again, those goes out once, once a day, including the morning show archive. And then if you want our ministry email, you want to know what's going on with the Sons of Liberty, which goes out once a week on Saturdays, go to Sons of Liberty Radio Live. Sign up right there off the front page. Right, And uh, we, we appreciate you guys supporting us in any way that you do, in your prayers, in, uh, in coming and listening to the show, or coming on the video platforms and watching the show. Um, I, I do hope that that both shows are edifying to you, that they're educational and in being educational, that they lead you to do the things that believers are supposed to do, which is not do the things that we've been refuting over the past couple of weeks or few weeks, uh, which is, uh, you know, have an errant theology and, you know, just looking for a rapture and a way out and all this other stuff. No, 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 no. To go to battle. That's the thing. 
And uh, we have a king. We've already demonstrated that. He has a kingdom. He has laws. He has blessings for his people. Um, and those are all in the person and the work, through the work of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so that's been what uh, the message of the Sons of Liberty is, is what Christ has given us. He's given us liberty. He's given us liberty. He has set us free. And so with that said, it's not that I don't realize that we have things that have entrapped us because they clearly have. I mean, you can't get on a plane without them violating their own law, the U.S. Constitution. You can't get on a plane without them going through your stuff, touching your body, doing all kinds of stuff that they're not supposed to do. And they're doing that because they won't obey God. They won't obey His Word. That's the thing. If they won't obey God, they're not going to obey man, what man writes. They're not going to obey Him. They're not going to obey the Lord either. And, uh, and, and it's the responsibility of the people to uphold that law of the king, to tell these tyrants, you are not above the law, and in fact, that they are to submit to that king. Now, we've got a lot of stuff here, and just for people in the chat, just to let you know, uh, I did have a little text back and forth with Mr. Wordsworth. He's doing fine, but, uh, you know, he... I respect him. He's my brother. We we had a little bit of back and forth, and he sent me something. I sent him something, and um, <clears throat> in fact, I'm going to address just one little portion of something that that I was reading yesterday that uh, that he had given me uh, by a guy who wrote over at Reformed.org. And it and, and the only reason I'm going to address it is because it's it's about um, Matthew 24. And I now those of you who listened, we did like three shows on it, and we constantly made reference to Matthew 24. But when I read this, I want you to see, now he's trying to uh, correct uh, Hymenaeus and Philetus, the, the understand, understanding of that from 2 Timothy, I think it's 2, 17 and 18, where they've said the resurrection's already passed, and they were causing some people to upset their faith, right? And rightly so, rightly so, because... It did not come yet, okay? The, the Old Testament had not closed yet. But I want, you to under, I want you to listen to this. When you see things as clear as, you, as I see them from Matthew 24, and again, I think these are the plain things. When you see them, when somebody says things like this, I'm scratching my head going, I want to ask the guy some questions. Now, again, he seems intent on this, but he's in a church that's incorporated, which means if you know anything about incorporation, when you incorporate something, you make it a creature of the state. And I have to ask anybody out there, and I'm not trying to poison the well with what he's saying. I'm just going to deal with what he says to, to show you. But if you make the church a creature of the state, I got to tell you, even as a young believer, I questioned the church I was in that was looking to do the same thing. And I didn't know a lot of stuff, but I'm like, well, that sounds like, you know, if Jesus is the, is the creator of the, of the church, if he's the one building the church, is he not also its protector? Why are we doing this? And I didn't understand all the implications, but I do now. When you incorporate the church, you're saying it's a creature of the state. Sorry, you, that's what you're saying, because somewhere along the line, the state approves it, 
And if there's ever any kind of argument, guess who the final arbiter of that becomes? That's right, the state. The state. Where do you see any of that in Scripture? See, that's, that's submitting yourself to Caesar and not to God. But, but that was just something I came across. Uh, but I did want to let you guys know, um, uh, Mr. Wordsworth's doing fine. Again, uh, we had good cordial interaction. We treated each other with respect and, and love and, you know, spurring one another onto these things to, to sort this out. Now, for him, he, he believes he's done that, and that's, that's fine. I, I'm just going through the scripture. That's all I've done. That's all I've done here. But this is one thing. I just want to kind of bring this out because I was reading it, and there's a lot of stuff here. Um, some I agree with where he's pointing out certain things uh, as to wrong understanding of Scripture. But, uh, oh, there he is. <laughs> he is in this morning. Good morning. Uh, he is in our chat this morning. But these were these were some of the things, and I just kind of wanted to read this portion here. Uh, of what I see and of what we read in Matthew. Uh, I think Matthew was clear. There is nothing, zero in that text, that breaks up what Jesus is answering for the first century um, disciples that he's answering. Yes, that's right. <laughs> I thought I was clear on that. This is the author of the uh, the article. Uh, you want to make sure it's the author of the article that's five one c three. It's not him. I and I think I did that, but I just wanted to make sure. But one of the things that the the author wrote is this, and let me just read this to you. And those of you who've been listening, if you if you call it the Matthew twenty four series, listen to what's said. Jesus' Olivet discourse in Matthew twenty four highlights a Hymenean interpretation. Versus a true preterist interpretation. Well, frankly, we don't really have much except it says they erred. I don't see this, this particular individual taking into account that Hymenaeus and Philetus may be, may be Judaizers. I don't see him dealing with the issue of how is he deceiving these people and ruining their faith Unless that Paul had taught them the resurrection was spiritual, because if they said, well, if the resurrection's past, everybody could go down to the graveyard and say, well, wait a minute, all the graves are still here. They're not, you know, they're not all open up and everything. F furthermore, what's Hymenaeus and Philetus? What, I mean, what's, what's their issue? How are they still here? I don't really see an interaction with that, but that's that's secondary. This, I'm just wanting to let you know this is where he, where he gets this. Um, he says a Hymenean interpretation versus a true preterist interpretation, as he as he puts it. I guess he gets determined to determine what's true preterism and what's not, and what's truly fulfilled and what's not. But he says, our Lord completes the first part of his sermon with the famous time text. Verily, verily, I say unto you, this generation shall not pass away until all these things be fulfilled. The Orthodox Preterist. Okay, so now he says, well, I'm going to tell you what the Orthodox Preterist is supposed to believe. The Orthodox Preterist interpretation is that everything that occurred before verse 34 saw its fulfillment in that generation, the contemporary generation of Jews. However, the Hymenaeans merge everything that occurs after verse 34 into, into the AD 70 spiritual coming of Christ. Well, I have asked, I have asked over and over 
and over men who hold a different opinion of me, uh, a different opinion, an interpretation of Matthew 24. Where in that text do we stop talk? Does Jesus stop talking about fulfillment in that generation? And it jumps thousands of years into the future. Where is that at? Because I don't see it anywhere. And we read through the context. I showed you how it was all just one thing right after the other. But this is what he says. He says, they um, uh, merge these things together into the generation of the contem uh, contemporary generation of Jews. However, the Hymenians merge everything that occurs after verse 34 into AD 70, spiritual coming of Christ. Well, I'm not even going to say it's a spiritual coming. I'm going to say Jesus said they would see him coming on the clouds with power and great glory. They said, he, that's what he said. They would see him. And then he says, for example, Hymenaeans argue, and this is, I'm just going to get this out of the way because we're going to talk about the land part here from pulling a little bit from the New Testament as to what the, and the Old Testament as to what the land was, the land issue was. He says, they argue that even verse 36 is about AD 70 when Jesus states, but of that day and hour knoweth no man, no, not the angels of heaven, but my father only. Well, yeah, that's part of the context. The only problems with this viewpoint are explained adequately by Marcus Kick in his Eschatology of Victory, and the reader's urge to read his arguments. Okay. Echoing Kick, we affirm that the designated that day does not refer to the days of tribulation for Israel prior to the coming of the Romans. The reason is that that day had already been introduced by our Lord earlier, even as far back as the Sermon on the Mount. I think he's talking about Matthew chapter seven, uh, which he, which he, which is uh, Matthew chapter seven, verse twenty-one to twenty-three, which we've talked about before, um, and and this is where the Lord tells those uh, who will say unto him, Lord, Lord, have we not? Um, what is it saying here? Okay, he's broken up some stuff. He doesn't quote the entire verse. He breaks it up. Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, and that many shall say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name, and in thy name have cast out devils, and in thy name done many wonderful works? And then will I profess unto them, I never knew you. Depart from me, ye that work iniquity. Well, he doesn't say when that day is. He doesn't say when that is. He just says, yeah, they're going to come to me in that last, in that day. Well, what have we seen? Now, look, this is why we took the topics of what does the Bible say about last days? We took everywhere it said about last days. And what did we see? What are they the last days of? They're the last days of the old covenant age. That's what they are. Every instance that we pulled up would be tied to that. Okay. We didn't skip anything there. We talked about the time of the end. We talked about the end of the world, where that phrase is used in the scriptures. And what is it pointing to? It's pointing to the messianic period. My goodness, Hebrews chapter 9 is very clear. Christ came and gave his sacrifice at the end of the world. It's very clear. It's very simple here. What this does is it confuses what Jesus is telling his disciples is coming. So he's laid that out. I'm not convinced that he's saying this is somewhere off in our future. It, he's, talking, he's talking to the people there, the reissuance of the law on, them, on this Sermon on the Mount. 
Earlier in Matthew, this goes back to uh, the author here, earlier in Matthew, the Lord compared Israel's judgment with some of the historic cities that were notable for wickedness. Christ preached, but I say unto you, it be more tolerable for Tyre and Sidon at the day of judgment than for you. Well, I have to ask a question. Does this guy believe that the cities are going to be judged or the individuals are going to be judged? Because now it looks like what he's interpreting, what Jesus is saying is, is the cities are going to be judged in some in that day. I mean, that's what it sounds like he's done. I don't think that's what he's getting at at all. I think Jesus is warning them the judgments are going to come, and we're going to look at some of those uh, when we go back into the Old Testament, and we see these the land promises that were given and that were fulfilled, by the way, uh, to Old Testament Israel. But he says that about Tyre and Sidon, and then Jesus also says, but it shall be more tolerable for the land of Sodom in the day of judgment than for thee. What's the day of judgment? Who's he applying that to? Is he not applying that to Israel? I think that he is. I think that he is. Christ has already drilled that the that day of judgment, this is back to the writer terminology in the heads of the disciples. Okay, yeah, I have no problem with that. There is coming a day for their judgment. Okay, but again, what's he comparing it to? Cities, not individuals, cities. He goes on and he says, um, which they would have understood as including Sodom and Tyre and Sidon on a day other than 70 AD. How does he know that? Where did he pull that? He just threw that out there. They would not have understood it like that. They would have understood the last day. The last day. And everywhere you go where you see that, he's talking about the last day of the Old Covenant. Or the last days of the Old Covenant. And I didn't just throw that in there. This is what he did. He needs to prove that, that they would have understood it some other time other than the end of the Old Covenant. He needs to demonstrate that, but he doesn't do that. Certainly Tyre and Sidon and Sodom, this is back to the author, Sidon and, and Sodom were not judged in AD 70. No, they weren't. Jerusalem was. And that is the point. Who's he pronouncing? It's going to be, it was easier for these guys to endure the judgment than it is for what's coming. Why? Because as we, as we said before, Tyre and Sidon and Sodom didn't murder the Son of God. They didn't murder the Son of God. And again, we went to the, the parable of the vineyard where that was done. Uh, and Jesus said, you know, what's going to happen? And even the Pharisees who perceived that he was speaking about them said, well, the, vin the, vine the vineyard owner is going to come and he's going to tear those wicked men apart into pieces. So he says this. He then goes and he says in the Matthean account of the Olivet Discourse, that day is an explicit reference to the great day when God will judge all past, present, and future generations. Um, I don't see that at all. I don't see that at all. Jesus answered the questions about all of those things happening and the sign of his coming and the end of the age. Okay? And all of them were fulfilled there in the first century. They just were. If it, I still see when this guy is talking about these things, and I have good friends that are nearby and everything, and I ask the question, where's the break? Show me the break as to what I'm supposed to see is in first century and what is out in our future. And I have yet, yet, yet to see anybody show me where that break is. 
nobody shows me that. And so therefore, I am left with the text saying these things are happening this way. And uh, I'm not going to go through all that again, but this is some of the stuff that, um, you know, he's he's given these things. And yes, there's going to be time where God judges. In fact, I was thinking about what Jesus said. He said, all men are already condemned. Jesus didn't come into the world to condemn the world, John chapter 3, but that the world through him might be saved. So men have already, in essence, been judged. They've been deemed condemned already. All right. But we looked at Matthew, and we may touch on that just a little bit, but I kind of want to pick up some things about the land because, you know, Ezekiel talked about out of uh, 37 that he's going to uh, bring them into a land, these people that he's brought together. And remember, God had given Abraham a promise of land, and that promise was like a down payment on the entire earth. It's going to give the earth to Abraham's descendants, to Abraham and to his descendants, okay? And if you recall, we kind of started out everything. We keep pushing this issue of what Jesus said because, again, the author that I just read wants to say that the kingdom of God didn't come, that it didn't come then. And I'm, I'm sitting here going, well, wait a minute. That's in direct contrast to several places where Jesus said it did, clearly did. One of those is Matthew chapter 16. Verily I say unto you, there be some standing here which shall not taste of death till they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. Now is Jesus telling the truth? I believe that he is. I believe there were some that lived to see him coming in his kingdom. Well, Tim, you can't prove that from anything. You can't prove that, that Jesus really was, uh, you know, that he came in his kingdom? Oh, yes, I can. This is Matthew 24, and I've said this before. And this is going to lead into the land issue. Now, again, it's interesting to me. He's laid all this out, right? And I don't, I'm, I'm assuming the author that I was reading would say at least up until verse 34, all that's about first century. I'm assuming that from everything I read in his article, I'm assuming he would say all this is about first century. And he talks about there's a there's a tribulation of those days immediately immediately after these things okay that Jesus talks about not thousands of years in the future immediately after the tribulation of those days and that tribulation is great tribulation if you back up into um, what is it verse twenty one of Matthew twenty four there shall be great tribulation okay such as was not. So this is a great tribulation that's never, ever been seen before nor after. Nothing like what happened to Jerusalem in AD 7 uh, did that. None of that did. So here's what we have. He comes down and he says immediately after that tribulation of those days, these things are happening. And then he says, and then shall appear the sign of the Son of Man in heaven, and then shall all the tribes of the earth, or the land, mourn. And they shall see the Son of Man coming. That doesn't sound spiritual to me. It says, they shall see the Son of Man coming in the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. Now, everything I can see from the, from the author that I read to you, 
He seems to agree because he says this is Orthodox Presbyterian, or this is Presbyterian, <laughs> Orthodox Preterist. I would say it's Orthodox seeing the Bible fulfilled. That's what I would say it is. So he comes down and he says this. Learn the parable of the fig tree. And you know the commenter that we had that I had to mute because all he was doing was spamming the comments. I'll let you, if you want to disagree with me, there's plenty of comments where people disagree. And that's fine. I, 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 I don't mind the disagreement, but I'm not going to let you just come in there and spam the same thing over and over. Uh, that's why it's called spam. <laughs> okay. And I warned the guy about it, but he went ahead and did it anyway. So there you go. Um, so he says, now learn a parable of the fig tree. When this branch is yet tender and put a fourth leaves, you know that summer is nigh. So likewise, ye, when ye, his disciples, the ones he's talking to, see all these things, know that it is, at the, that it is near, even at the doors. Verily I say unto you, this generation shall not pass till all these things be fulfilled. And I pointed out the simple understanding that this it, know that it is near, even at the doors, is what? What did I point? What have I pointed this out? Well, here again, this is Luke 21, the parallel passage, tells us about the fig tree, says, Here's the parable. Here's what it means. Puts on leaves. You know, summer's nigh. And then he says this. So likewise ye, when ye see these things come to pass, know ye that the kingdom of God is nigh at hand. It's the same message to Jesus. The first message Jesus preached. Repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. Same message that John the Baptist had. Repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. It's at hand. It's not thousands of years off in the future. It's at hand. And I hear the people, we've talked about it. They've said, well, does this look like the kingdom? No, because it's been hidden from the, the people of God through error in false teaching. Jesus was clear. The kingdom of God does not come with observation. It doesn't come with observation. It's in you. Okay? So, with that said, if we continue to look on, part of the things that we see, it just continues. It doesn't say, oh, and by the way, I'm not talking about first century stuff anymore. I'm talking about way off in somebody else's future, not your own. No, that's not what he says at all. In fact, he goes on, and in like Luke 31, he says, and take heed to yourselves. Lest at any time your hearts be overcharged and surfeiting and with drunkenness and cares of this life, and so that day come upon you unawares. Well, there's that day again. But he's talking to the disciples. You guys, take heed to yourselves, lest that day come upon you unawares. You forget my words, and you're not looking for that coming. What's also interesting in that, in that text is the guy keeps talking about, well, this isn't, uh, he says, the people who disagree with him who will see the Bible fulfilled, well, he says, well, he, they just see all the comings of Christ and they lump them all into the second coming. Well, wait a minute a second. Hang on a second. If, if you acknowledge that there are other comings after Christ's incarnation, how many second comings are there? Because if you got three or four before the, what you call the second coming, wouldn't the second coming be like the fifth? 
I mean, understand what's going on there. I think it's pretty clear. Read the text, see what it says. I think it says what it says, and it means what it says, and it's pretty, it's pretty simple. We don't have to complicate it. So, just real quickly, and then we're going to get into the land issues. He says, For as a snare shall it come on all them that dwell on the face of the whole earth. Watch ye therefore and pray always that ye may be accounted worthy to escape all these things that shall come to pass and to stand before the Son of Man. Well, if it's not coming in their lifetime, why are they praying to be counted worthy to escape those things? And Jesus told them how to escape. When you see the armies surround Jerusalem, this is in Luke chapter 21, when you see them, get out of the city. Pay attention to what's going on around you. Get out of the city. I would say the same application is going on today. You see what's going on. And we're getting really, really close to God just not having any more patience with us. We are in judgment. We've been in judgment for many years now here in the United States. Just like Israel was. The judgment builds up and it builds up. Read Leviticus 26. It builds up seven times more if you don't learn, seven times more if you don't learn, seven times more if you don't learn, till you're utterly destroyed. But he says that. Matthew 24 says the same thing. It continues on. And so, we, as I said, we got to conform our, our, our thinking to what the Scriptures say, not make them say whatever we've been taught that they're supposed to say. So with that said... Um, that was just something that that I that I read, and I'm I'm grateful that I I got it and that I got to read some things. There were a couple of points that I think were good points that were made, and so I've taken those to heart uh, as far as some of the things the the guy had to say. But I I honestly I didn't see where he's showing this distinction there. I see a lot of assumptions um, about that day, and well, this is how they would have thought, and this is how these guys were, but I but. I don't hold any of those things, so I don't. I don't know. I don't. I don't see that as corrective to me. So I, I went with just what the scripture says, okay, and how it says it. Now, concerning the land, we talked him from Ezekiel about how he's going to give them their land, how he's going to make the two sticks and make them one, and we saw that uh, in Ephesians two. We've seen it in uh, Romans eleven. Um, and we, we've seen how God has taken the Jew and the Greek and made them into one new man. They're not to be torn asunder again. Okay, they're not to be done that. And how are they made one? They're made one in Christ. So Genesis chapter 12, here's one of the things that we say. And the Lord had said unto Abram, Get thee out of thy country and from thy kindred and from thy father's house unto a land that I will show thee. And I will make of thee a great nation and I will bless thee and make thy name great. And thou shalt be a blessing, and I will bless them that bless thee. Okay, you've heard that before, right? I made mention of that the other day. And curse him that curseth thee. Who is it? Who is that promise to? Well, that's a promise to Abram. That's not a promise to modern day Israel. That is a promise to Abram. Okay. And if we're Abraham's children, that means we have the faith of Abraham, which, by the way. That is the only Abrahamic faith is the one of the belief of the promised seed, which is Christ. That's the only one. People can say they have Abrahamic faith. That doesn't mean it's true. Paul shoots all other religions, if you want to call them that, Judaism, Islam, and all those who claim that they're Abrahamic faiths 
He shoots them down because none of them believe Jesus is the Christ. None of them. There's only one Abrahamic faith. And that's the one that believes in the promised seed, the Lord Jesus Christ, the one who was prophesied to come. So he says, I will bless them that bless thee, curse him that curseth thee, and in thee shall all families of the earth be blessed. So Abram departed as the Lord had spoken unto him, and Lot went with him. And Abram was seventy and five years old when he departed out of Haran. And Abram took Sarah his wife, and Lot his brother's son, and all their substance that they had gathered, and the souls that they had gotten in Haran, and they went forth to go into the land of Canaan. And into the land of Canaan they came. And Abram passed through the land into the place of Sichem, unto the plain of Morah, and the Canaanite was then in the land. And the Lord appeared unto Abram and said, Unto thy seed will I give this land. And there builded he an altar unto the Lord who appeared unto him. And he removed from thence unto a mountain on the east of Bethel and pitched his tent, having Bethel on the west and high on the east. And there he built an altar unto the Lord and called upon the name of the Lord. And Abram journeyed going on still south toward the south. And there was a famine in the land. And Abram went down into Egypt to sojourn there. For the famine was grievous in the land. It came to pass when he was come near to enter into Egypt, that he said unto Sarai his wife, Behold now, I know that thou art a fair woman to look upon. Therefore it shall come to pass, when the Egyptians shall see thee, that they will say, that they shall say, This is his wife, and they will kill me, but they will save thee alive. So, you know, you, you kind of see, here's Abraham, he's sort of the father of the faith, if you will, <laughs> and he's scared of the Egyptians. Tell him, tell him, you know, you're my sister. And it gets him in a lot of trouble in Pharaoh's house. So, uh, and God protects Sarai from being violated by the Pharaoh, and Pharaoh chastises Abram. This is an absolutely incredible thing of what God has promised for Abraham because he keeps Pharaoh from engaging his wife, uh, Abram's wife, intimately by warning him this is the woman who's off limits to you. And Pharaoh chastises him, sends him on his way. And you know what? <laughs> Look at this. And verse 16 of chapter 12. And I'm not saying it's okay to do these things, but I'm saying, look, look how God took care of Abram, in, even in the midst of his lack of faith, that God would protect him. He says, and he entreated Abram well for his sake, and he had sheep and oxen, and he had asses and men servants and maidservants, and she asses and camels. And the Lord plagued Pharaoh and his house with great plagues because of Sarah. I mean, you would say, well, isn't Abram the one doing the wrong here? But yet Abram gets blessed. Pharaoh gets plagues. <laughs> it's pretty incredible. So that's, this was part of the, the promise that God gave to Abram. Okay, so we go to Genesis chapter 15, and here's what we read there. And let's just begin uh, at verse 1. Okay, let me get a drink here because my mouth is dry. Okay, he says, After these things the word of the Lord came unto Abram, in a vision, saying, Fear not, Abram, I am thy shield and thy exceeding great reward. And Abram said, Lord God, what wilt thou give me, seeing I go childless, and the steward of my house is this Eleazar of uh, Damascus? And Abram said, Behold to me, thou hast given no seed, and lo, one born in my house is mine heir. And behold, the word of the Lord came unto him, saying, This shall not be thine heir. But he that shall come forth out of thine own bowels shall be thine heir. 
And he brought him forth abroad and said, Look now toward heaven, and tell the stars if thou be able to number them. And he said unto, and he said unto him, So shall thy seed be. And he believed in the Lord, and he counted it to him for righteousness. And he said unto him, I am the Lord that brought thee out of Ur of the Chaldees to give thee this land to inherit it. And he said, Lord God, whereby shall I know that I shall inherit it? I mean, this is a lot of land. How am I going to know that? So he said to him, Take me an heifer of three years old, and a she-goat of three years old, and a ram of three years old, and a turtle dove, and a young pigeon. And he took unto him all these things, all these, and divided them in the midst, and laid each piece one against another. But the birds divided he not. And when the fowls came down upon the carcasses, Abram drove them away. And so you understand what's going on here. A covenant, when you look at the, the basic definition of it, is, is to get part between flesh. So they split the animals in two. By the way, just so you get the picture, for those of you who are adults, and I will keep it family friendly, when a man and woman covenant together in marriage, there is a parting of flesh. Okay, You get the idea. That's, that's what the covenant is. Okay? And that's what's going on here. He's splitting the animals up, and the two parties would normally walk through between the flesh in order to confirm the covenant. But watch what happens here. Abraham's got everything ready. Got the flesh of the animals parted. They're on either side. He's driving away birds who want to come down and, and feed on these carcasses. And when the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell upon Abram. And lo, and horror of great darkness fell upon him. And he said unto Abram, Know of a surety that, that, that thy seed shall be a stranger in a land that is not theirs, and shall serve them. What's he talking about? Well, he's talking about them going into uh, Egypt and becoming slaves. Okay, And he even tells them a time they're going to be there. They're going to the land that is not theirs and shall serve them, and they shall afflict them 400 years. And also that nation whom they shall serve will I judge. Hmm. So God's going to let, let Abraham's descendants go into Egypt for 400 years, and then he's going to judge Egypt for their wickedness against his people. And afterward shall they come out with great substance. Did they do that? Yep, the Egyptians gave them all kinds of stuff. All kinds, including weapons. And thou shalt go to thy fathers in peace. Thou shalt be buried in a good old age. So Abram's not going to see the fulfillment of God's promise to him. But his descendants will. But in the fourth generation, they shall come hither again. For the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet full. And it came to pass that when the sun went down and it was dark, behold, a smoking furnace and a burning lamp that passed between those pieces. This is the Lord. The Lord's made the covenant, and the Lord's the only one responsible to keep that covenant. He made it to Abraham, and he's the one who walked and testified by himself that he would keep that covenant. And this is what he said. The Lord made the covenant with Abram 
saying, Unto thy seed have I given this land from the river of Egypt unto the great river, the river Euphrates, the Kenites and the Kenizzites and the Cadmonites and the Hittites and the Perizzites and the Rephames and the Amorites and the Canaanites and the Girgashites and the Jebusites. I'm giving you all their land. That is my promise to your, you for your seed. I'm going to give them this land. Okay. Did he do that? Some people say, well, God didn't give them all the land and they want to make all this kind of argument and this, that, and the other. But the fact of the matter is the Lord did do that. In Joshua chapter 21, verse, verse 44, we read this. And uh, well, actually, verse 43. And the Lord gave unto Israel all the land which he swore to give unto their fathers. Now, does that sound like God uh, kind of pulled back from that? By the way, if you want to call in, the number is 803-619-9855. Um, does that sound like God gave all the land or he didn't? He, did, he, he kept some back. He didn't let them go in and possess the land. What, what's, the, what's the issue here? And the Lord gave unto Israel all the land which he sware to give unto their fathers. And they possessed it and dwelt therein. And the Lord gave them rest round about according to all that he sware unto their fathers. Doesn't sound like God was not fulfilling what he said he would fulfill. And that's in Joshua. And there stood not a man of all their enemies before them. The Lord delivered all their enemies into their hand. There fell not aught of any good thing which the Lord had spoken unto the house of Israel. All came to pass. All of it. Every bit of it. So God was faithful in what he had, what he had said he was going to do. Um, <clears throat> we see at the beginning of Joshua... This was the command that God gave to Joshua when he was going into the, into the land. Now, after the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, it came to pass that the Lord spake unto Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' minister, saying, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now, therefore, arise, go over this Jordan, thou and all this people, unto the land which I do give to them, even to the children of Israel. Every place that the sole of your foot shall tread upon, that have I given unto you, as I said unto Moses. Okay, so Moses is also an inheritor of the promise. So is Joshua. That's why Joshua, when he went with the, with the spies, what would be the issue there? Well, he says, God's promised it. They're a piece of cake, man. I know they're giants in the land, but I know the land's exactly what God said it was, and he promised to give it to us. And he says, everywhere your soul shall tread upon, that I have given unto you. And of course, later on in 21, which we just read, what did he do? He said, he gave him all the land he promised. From the wilderness and this Lebanon, even to the great river, the river Euphrates, all the land of the Hittites, and unto the great sea toward the going down of the sun, shall be your coast. There shall not any man be able to stand before thee all the days of thy life. And as I was with Moses, so I'll be with you, or so I'll be with thee. I will not fail thee, nor forsake thee. Be strong and of a good courage. For unto this people shalt thou divide for an inheritance the land, which I swear unto their fathers to give them. 
Only be thou strong and very courageous, that thou mayest observe to do according to all the law which Moses my servant commanded thee. Turn not from it to the right hand or to the left, that thou mayest prosper whithersoever thou goest. For the book of the law shall not depart out of thy mouth, but thou shalt meditate therein day and night, that thou mayest observe to do according to all that is written therein. For then thou shalt make thy way prosperous, and then shalt thou, ha shalt, thou shalt have good success. Have I not commanded thee? Be strong and of a good courage. Be not afraid, neither be thou dismayed. For the Lord thy God is with thee, whithersoever thou goest. And then Joshua, receiving the word of the Lord, commanded the officers of the people, saying, Pass through the host and command the people, saying, Prepare your victuals, for within three days ye shall pass over this Jordan to go in to possess the land that God promised to. I mean, he doesn't say this here, but I just, in my, that God promised Abraham more than 400 years before. These people are living, their, their history at this moment is the fulfillment of the promise that God gave to them to give them the land. Within three days you shall pass over this Jordan to go in to possess the land which the Lord your God giveth you to possess it. And he tells them all the people they're going to drive out. And remember the, uh, verse 13, remember the word which Moses, the servant of, of the Lord, commanded you, saying, the Lord your God hath given you rest and hath given you this Land. He's also giving you your wives, your little ones, and your cattle shall remain in the land which Moses gave you on this side, on this side, Jordan. But ye shall pass before your brethren armed, all the mighty men of valor, and help them until the Lord hath given your brethren rest, and he hath given you, and they also have possessed the land which the Lord your God giveth them. Then ye shall return into the land of your possession, enjoy it, which Moses, the Lord's servant, gave you on this side, Jordan. Uh, toward the sun rising. Okay, so you get the idea. There's a promise of land, and God has said he gave them everything that he was uh, supposed to give them. Now, what's interesting about that? Well, some people say, well, look, uh, the land over there in Israel now, that's Israel's. Now, there's a, lot of, there's a lot of things that people aren't told about how Israel gained certain land over there. And there's a lot of manipulation that went on, a lot. Just do a, just do a study of six million Jews before World War II. There's a video that I have up. If I can remember, I'll try to put it on. But the propaganda of six million Jews started in like 1913 or 1917, something like that. And you can see the original papers like the New York Times, the, Suns, the Sun Times, and all these where that number was being touted as half the Jewish population. Well, if that was half, then <laughs> that were being threatened and all, well, what went on over here in the other? And I'm not saying Jews weren't targeted or killed in Nazi Germany. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is there was a number of six million that was touted at least it was more than a decade, almost two, before that happened, okay? But what I want you to see is when God gives the blessings and the cursings for the people coming into the land in Deuteronomy chapter 8, which, by the way, for those who come in and comment and say, well, you don't understand the judgment that's coming. Look, we talk about this all the time. We talk about this all the time. 
Look at what happens. So what I did was I did a, a quick little search here through the text, Deuteronomy chapter 28. You'll see it in the top. You can do this with the control F and search. So I just put in the word destroy. Now I want you to listen to what God says he will do to his old covenant people, Israel, if they don't obey his commands. Now he's, he starts off and he says, if you obey my commands, here's the blessings. And there'll be the blessings will overtake you if you'll just obey me. And frankly, they were blessed in spite of their disobedience. It's, it's really incredible how merciful and gracious God was to this people. I mean, it really is. But I want you to notice, when you come into the curses, okay, which start in verse 15, it shall come to pass, if thou wilt not hearken to the voice of the Lord to observe, to do all his commandments and his statutes, which I command thee this day, that all these curses shall come upon thee and overtake thee, just like the blessings would, the curses would, if you don't obey. So what, what, what are some of these things that will happen? What's part of the cursing? Verse 20, the Lord shall send upon thee cursing, vexation, and rebuke in all that thou settest thine hand unto for to do until thou be destroyed and until thou perish quickly because of the wickedness of thy doings whereby thou hast forsaken me. Now, you'll hear preachers talk about the blessings of Israel and blessing Israel. And, you know, if you curse Israel, you're going to be cursed and all, all this kind of stuff. Okay. But God was clear. You'll never hear those guys talk about them being destroyed like this. Here's the second one. This is in verse 24. The Lord shall make the rain of thy land powder and dust. From heaven it shall come down upon thee until thou be destroyed. Same text, Deuteronomy 28, verse 45. Moreover, all these curses shall come upon thee and shall pursue thee and overtake thee till thou be destroyed. Why? Because thou hearkenest not unto the voice of the Lord thy God to keep his commandments and his statutes, which he commanded thee. And then verse 48, what do we read? Therefore shalt thou serve thine enemies, which the Lord shall send against thee in hunger and in thirst and in nakedness and in want of all things. And he shall put a yoke of iron upon thy neck until he have destroyed thee. The next one's come in verse 51. And he shall eat the fruit of thy cattle and the fruit of thy land until thou be destroyed, which also shall not leave thee either corn, wine, or oil, or the increase of thy kind, or flocks of thy sheep, until he have destroyed thee. Anybody getting the picture of what's going on here? The disobedience towards God? Also, every sickness and every plague which is not written in the book of, the, of this law, them will the Lord bring upon thee until thou be destroyed. And then he finishes with this, verse 63, And it shall come to pass that as the Lord rejoiced over you to do you good and to multiply you, so the Lord will rejoice over you to destroy you and to bring you to naught. And ye shall be plucked from off the land, whither thou goest to possess it. Very interesting here. Very interesting. God says he's going to destroy you. Why? Why the difference in Abr the, the covenant with Abram? And we see right off the bat, you know, he's, he's like fearful of the Pharaoh. And he wants his, his wife to say, oh, you're my sister, so they don't kill me and take you. Why the difference in there? And somehow Abram is blessed and 
and Pharaoh's cursed. Why are these kind of things going on? Because the promise comes from God and the covenant keeping is from God. God's the one who upheld the covenant. He's the one who made the covenant. When you go to the old covenant, what's going on there? Well, God lays out the terms of the covenant and it, and Abraham or Moses says, can I get an amen? And the people affirm the covenant. And the Bible says that he takes the hyssop and he dips it in the blood and he sprinkles the book with the blood and he sprinkles the people with the blood. So now you've got the two parties. You've got the people and you've got God in covenant. And who's the one breaking the covenant? The people. And they're constantly breaking it up until the time of Messiah where he comes to close out that covenant age and to establish the new covenant. What have they been doing? Breaking it. And so they're kicked out of the land. Their land is utterly destroyed. I read those, the passage out of uh, Josephus where he says that. I mean, it looked like it had never been inhabited. When the Romans were done with it, it looked like it had never been inhabited. It was just nothing. It was just desert. Rubble. That's it. That's a pretty important thing. That's a pretty important thing. And so it would lead people to think, well, if God's going to judge his old covenant people, if that's what he's going to do, well, maybe he's just cast them off. Well, Paul says, no, that's not the case. In fact, in Romans chapter 9, one of the things that we read there is this. For I wish that myself that myself were a curse from Christ for my brethren, my kinsmen according to the flesh, who are Israelites, to whom pertaineth the adoption and the glory and the covenants and the giving of the law and the service of God and the promises. Whose are the fathers and of whom as concerning the flesh Christ came, who is over all God blessed forever. Amen. Not as though the word of God hath taken none effect, for they are not all Israel which are of Israel. Get that in your head. For they are not all Israel, which are of Israel. And if it helps you any better, listen to what Jesus told the Pharisees when they, you know, he's talking about Abraham rejoice to see my day. You're not even 50 years old and, and, uh, and you've seen Abraham. What's going on here? And they talk about we're children of Abraham. We're the seed of Abraham. And he goes, no, if you were children of Abraham, you'd be doing the works of Abraham. You're, your father's the devil. Now, these guys claim that they're a Semitic people from the loins of Abraham. And Jesus says, not so. Your daddy's the devil. If you had the Abrahamic faith of Abraham, as Galatians 3 says, you would be children of Abraham. You would be doing the works of Abraham. And you would love me. You would know who I am, but you don't. So therefore, you're judged. I'm not going to take a lot of time today, just a couple of minutes here. So if you want to hear that, that's sonsoflibertymedia.com. And then um, Bradley will be with you at 3 p.m. Eastern, I think. If not, we'll have an educational video up on sonsoflibertymedia.com. And then, Lord willing, we'll be back in the morning. Special guests coming your way. You're going to, long time since they've been here. See you then. All right. want to welcome everybody coming over from Red State Talk Radio. The phone line is still open. If you got a question or comment, you more than welcome. Please keep it to the topic that we've talked about here, but you're welcome to call in if you want to do that. I'll still take those through, and, and that's only for people who watch the replay. This is only through the live show. It's not anytime after. If you call, you're not going to get me, okay? 
Okay, so he says here, not as though the word of God hath taken none effect. This is Romans 9, 6. For they are not all Israel, which are Israel. Neither because they are the seed of Abraham are they all children. But in Isaac shall thy seed be called. That is, they were the children of the flesh. These are not the children of God. He makes a distinction. That's also found in Galatians chapter 4 where he talks about the bondwoman, his, the, the child he had with the bondwoman, Hagar, was Ishmael, and Ishmael was, he, he, was the, uh, he was not the promised son. He was not heir to the promises. Now, God did say he would bless him, but he was not the heir of the promises. That was Isaac, who was born to who? The free woman, Sarai. And he uses them as a metaphor about the, the fact that the Jerusalem below is the bondwoman under the law. But it's the Jerusalem above, the same Jerusalem as we looked at, I think it was yesterday, out of Revelation chapter 21, the bride who comes down. We have come to the new Jerusalem. That's what Paul says. Or to the holy Jerusalem, the Jerusalem that is above. We've come to that. But he says this, but the children of promise are counted for the seed. The children of the promise. For this is the word of promise. At this time I will come, Sarah shall have a son. Okay, all right, so what have we seen in all of this? Well, again, there is a thing in which, at least at the time Paul's writing, he's saying God has not cast away his people, okay? And he's talking about, at that time, those covenant people. He's not completely cast off. He says, I'm one of them. I'm one that he didn't cast away. In fact, listen, this is, this is Romans chapter 11. It's very clear. I say then, hath God cast away his people? God forbid. For I also am an Israelite, not an Israeli, an Israelite of the seed of Abraham and of the tribe of Benjamin. I got the pedigree. I got the birth certificate or the, the lineage line. I got the family Bible, if you will. I mean, I'm just giving some kind of uh, picture as to he knows where he came from. Okay. God hath not cast away his people, which he foreknew. Wot ye not what the scripture saith, saith of Elias, how he maketh intercession to God against Israel, saying, Lord, they have killed thy prophets, and dig down thine altars, and I am left alone, and they seek my life. But what saith the answer of God unto him? I have reserved to myself seven thousand men who have not bowed the knee to the image of Baal. Even so, then, at this present time, at the present time, that Paul's writing, also there is a remnant according to the election of grace. So even though judgment was coming, it was already beginning in there. That's part of what Matthew 23 was leading up with all of the different things that were going to be coming into play that the disciples were going to see. Paul's still holding out hope here. At this present time also, there is a remnant according to the election of grace. And if by grace, then is it no more of works? Otherwise, grace is no more grace. But if it be of works, then it is no more of grace. Otherwise, work is no more work. What then? Israel hath not obtained that which he seeketh for, but the election hath obtained it, and the rest were blinded. What was it they were they're, they're obtaining? 
Is it not the Christ? Is it not the promised seed? Yes, the promised seed had come. The Christ had come. That's what they obtained. The other guys didn't obtain that. The unbelieving ones didn't do that. They were blinded. Verse 8, According as it is written, God hath given them the spirit of slumber, eyes that they should not see, ears that they should not hear, unto this day. And David saith, Let their table be made a snare and a trap and a stumbling block and a recompense unto them. Let their eyes be darkened that they may not see and bow down their back away, alway. I say then, have they stumbled that they should fall? God forbid. But rather, through their fall, salvation is coming to the Gentiles for to provoke them to jealousy. And if the fall of them be the riches of the world and the diminishing of them the riches of the Gentiles, how much more their fullness. For I speak to you Gentiles inasmuch as I am the apostle of the Gentiles, I magnify mine office. If by any means I may provoke to emulation them which are my flesh and might save some of them. For if the casting away of them be the reconciling of the world, what shall the receiving of them be but life from the dead? For if the first fruit be holy, the lump is also holy. And if the root be holy, so are the branches. And if some of the branches be broken off, and thou, being a wild olive tree, wert graft in among them, and with them partakest of the root and fatness of the olive tree, boast not against the branches. But if thou boast, thou bearest not the root, but the root thee. Thou wilt say then, the branches were broken off, that I might be grafted in. Well, because of unbelief, they were broken off. And thou standest by faith. Be not high-minded, but fear. For if God spared not the natural branches, he's referring to his people in the Old Covenant, take heed lest he also spare not thee. Behold, therefore the goodness and severity of God on them which fail severity, but toward thee goodness. If thou continue in his goodness, this is the perseverance of the saints. That's what that is. If you continue in these things, you're demonstrating that you are Abraham's children, that you are the true Israel. If you continue, if you don't, if you go out from us, John says it's not that you once were of us. He says they were never of us. They're going out that it may be manifest they weren't a part of us. For if thou were cut out of the olive tree, which is wild by nature, and were grafted contrary to nature into a good olive tree, how much more shall these, which be the natural branches, be grafted into their own olive tree? I mean, this, all of this ties in with what we talked about yesterday and what we talked about Saturday with Ezekiel 37. And those sticks being put together and them being made one. And Ephesians 2 is clear. Christ came that he might make of the two, Jews and Greeks, or Gentiles, one new man. One new man. And he's just saying, look, some of you Gentiles are coming in, you're saying, oh, those Jews, this, that, and the other. He's saying he hasn't cast off his people. He's going to judge the covenant breakers. He's going to do that. He's already declared that. But there is some space of repentance for repentance and the preaching of the gospel to them. And Paul says, I'm a prime example. 
I was persecuting the church. I was putting together believers in this, this, this king, Jesus. I was doing all that, and God had mercy on me. I'm an example that he hasn't cast off his people just yet. He hasn't done that. He hasn't utterly destroyed them like we, we see in Deuteronomy 28. He hasn't done that. It's coming. The ones who want to break the covenant and they want to remain in their sins, they're going to die in their sins. He says, but I'm an example of God's mercy to me. And this is tied to the land promises. What is, Deut what is Deuteronomy saying there? I mean, I think it's clear. He's going to destroy them. And if we look, there's, prom there's promise there. Matthew 5. I didn't open this one up. I thought I'd open it up. Matthew 5 in the Sermon on the Mount. He, he's, he talks about blessed are those. They'll inherit the earth or the, the land that's given. Jesus is king of the nations. He's not just over one little nation. He's king of the, of the world, if you want to say it that way. He's king of the nations. The nations are called to bow before him, to repent. As Paul said, there was a time where God winked at their ignorance. But now, now, he's called all men everywhere to repent. Well, what would that mean? That means all nations are called to bow before King Jesus and to obey him. And those who don't, or traitors to the crown, if you will, the crown of King Jesus. They are rebels. The earth is the Lord's. It's not just a postage stamp piece of land. And so when God gave this um, covenant with to Abraham, and he was the one who walked between the pieces of flesh, the covenant was solely on his shoulders, not on Abraham's. To fulfill the promises he made to Abraham. And did he do that? Yes, he did. We read it in Joshua. Completely fulfilled all the promises he made to the fathers. But he also fulfilled the promises he made in the Old Covenant to utterly destroy and remove that people if they would not obey him. Did he do that? Yea, he did. Yea, he did. He most certainly did. And so if you're going to be biblically correct, you need to say, one, the people over there claiming to be Jews are not. The Bible is very clear about who a true Jew is. It is one who is circumcised of the heart, not of the flesh. In fact, Paul mentions uh, when he's talking in the book of, I believe it's in Galatians, he mentions to the Judaizers who would come in, and he had some of the strongest language for the Judaizers that he had of anybody. Okay, and he says they're trying to get you to get circumcised and keep the law and have faith. This is that's a problem. Again, we go back to you know the issue here with what's going on uh, with Hymenaeus. He's trying to say there's a resurrection while there's still old covenant system going on. He's trying to do that. The Leads me to believe he's a Judaizer. It's not, it wasn't just that. I'll guarantee you there was a lot of other things that were going on with him, but we're not given all that stuff. But I can guarantee you it's probably, there's a host of things that were going on with him. But the fact of the matter is, God promised them land. He fulfilled that promise to them in the time frame that he, he said he would fulfill it. 
We've seen where God promised them a Messiah. And he gave a time frame for that, Daniel chapter 9. I think it's verses 27 and following. And the Christ came and he fulfilled all that, that was said there. In fact, Jesus said he fulfilled all that Moses and the prophets and the Psalms wrote because they wrote about him. He fulfilled all of them. Now, again, I asked the question, did he fulfill all of them or didn't he? Because if he didn't, then he's lying. I mean, that's just that seems pretty simple to me. No, he fulfilled them. From the land promises through the Christ, God fulfilled his word to his people. And even in their destruction, that was a promise he gave to them too, over and over and over and over. We read it out of Deuteronomy 28. Listen, friends. Listen, brothers and sisters. God has given his people in the new covenant the promise too. To inherit the earth. It is the Lord's. Again, it's not a little piece of postage stamp land in the Middle East. It's all His. And if we're heirs with Christ, we're, we're joint heirs with Christ of all that is His. This is why our gospel message must be one that calls men to repent of their sin, their lawlessness against the king, and against their fellow man, by the way, and submit to him. You got to believe, Paul says, you got to believe in your heart. God raised him from the dead and with a mouth confession is made to salvation. What is that confession? Jesus is Lord. And it's not just what you say with your lips because we read that out of, uh, we, when we were reading the article, uh, the guy made mention of Matthew. Many come to me and say, Lord, Lord. They're saying with their mouth, Lord, didn't we prophesy? Didn't we cast out demons or devils? And didn't we do many wonderful works? What does he say to them? Depart from me. I used to know you, but I don't. That's not what he says. He says, I never knew you. It's not that the Lord doesn't know them. There was no intimacy there. There was no father-son relationship or father-daughter if you're, if you're a woman. There's, there's no intimacy there. You don't, he's not your father. Your father's still the devil. Why? Because he says, you practice lawlessness, or iniquity. You say with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, but your life says something else. It says, Jesus ain't Lord, I'm Lord. That's what's going on. So with that said, I'm kind of putting on uh, this issue of the land promise. Did, he, did God promise Israel the land? Yes, Old Testament Israel. Yep. Has he promised the land to what you see in the modern state of Israel today? No, never did. Never promised them that. Again, these people, if you ask them, you will see. They don't believe Jesus is the Messiah. Played the, the rabbi for you. I could play him again, but I'm not going to do that today. Tobias Singer. He's not the Messiah because he didn't fulfill blah, 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 and he leans all this stuff. And we started through Ezekiel 37. We showed, yeah, he did fulfill that. The New Testament demonstrates he fulfilled it. And there's other things, lying down with the lamb and uh, the, the lamb lying with the lion, the wolf and the kid playing with the cobra and all this stuff. All those are metaphors of what's, what's going to be in the kingdom. All of them are there. And we see it fulfilled in the New Testament. So with that said, I'm going to close out the show. We're, we're done early today. 
a little early. I was hoping I'd get it all in within the hour, but but I did take time to, to reference that uh, piece there. Um, we're going to have a special guest on tomorrow. She hasn't been with us in a while, so I'm just going to save it as a surprise for you guys. And uh, we're going to it's going to be a pre-recorded show. We're going to record it later this morning, uh, but we'll air that Lord willing in the morning um, when we're with you then. So don't miss that. I know some of you will be very happy to see this person um, if you haven't seen her on the Sons of Liberty in some time. So be sure to join us for that. Bradley will be with you at 3 Eastern, 2 p.m. Central, SonsOfLibertyMedia.com, or uh, he'll have an educational video up, one or the other. And then again, Lord willing, we'll be back with you in the morning. Talk to you then. See ya.